message is called Be Ready. Be Ready. So Matthew 25 uh, verses will be on the screen uh, in the ESV. And uh, as we mentioned, we're going to be having the kids stick with us ages six and up. We're calling this in light of that Family Sunday. Um, and we may do this. This is the fifth Sunday in August. We may do this on fifth Sundays. We'll see how it goes. Take it a step at a time, right? And we're not just here to simply give our children's team a break, although that is certainly a benefit that comes from this. But because kids, look at me. All right, you guys here? All right, we're locked in. We think you're awesome. Is that right? And we think that you're just as important parts of our church family as any of the adults. In fact, I like you more than a lot of them. Um, And we want to worship God with you. We want to learn about God with you. And so that's why you're here. And so today, we're good with a little chaos. Um, It's going to happen. We do have a cry room in the back, number three, uh, especially if your parents are are really crying hard. Um, And there are also some activity sheets in the bulletin that go along with uh, your, or maybe they're on the back. Is that, I don't know if they're in the bulletin, they're in the back table. I don't want to tell a lie uh, while I'm preaching. Uh, but thanks to Danny for, for putting those together. And, and um, kids, you can do this. You can do this. I'll do my best to keep your attention, and, and you do your part to sit as still as you can and be amazing listeners. Does it sound like a plan? All right. So I want to start by telling you a story about three other little kids. Uh, they're known as Johnny, uh, Sally, and Billy Bob. Everybody say Billy Bob. That's my go-to. Uh, one Saturday morning, their parents tell them, we need to go run a few errands. And so for the first time ever, we're going to leave the three of you home alone. Any of your kids, any of you kids ever been left home alone before? I just wanted to get OCS involved. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Jill doesn't let me at home alone either very often. Um, we, we want you to be nice to each other, the parents say. Only 30 minutes of screen time, and, and we want you to not break anything. Now, Each of you, we're going to give some chores. Johnny, you're the oldest, so we're giving you three chores. They say you're going to vacuum, you're going to sweep, and you're going to take out the trash. Now, Sally, the second oldest, you got two things to do. You need to wipe down all the counters and tabletops, and then you're going to put the dishes away. Billy Bob, he's just barely holding it together up here, and he says, we just want you to put your toys away. Billy Bob, that's all we're asking you to do. Understood? And if your chores are done when we get home, there will be ice cream. That's the deal. All right. Now, mom and dad are only supposed to be gone for an hour. This is their first time out. But as always, things don't go as planned. And they have a, they have a flat tire. So they have to put the spare on. And they start arguing and fighting with each other as they do that. Give me the lug nut. You're a lug nut. And they're arguing back and forth. And then um, eventually they get it uh, fixed. Uh, they get the spare on. They got to go buy a new one. They need to go get some marriage counseling really quick because that went downhill fast. And then they, it ends up being five hours. And by the time they get home, um, it's, it's been a lot longer, which in kid world, uh, five hours is forever, right? So they get home. And when they get home, they find that the floors have been swept and vacuumed, so the trash has been taken out. Good job, Johnny. They find that the counters are, are cleaned and that the uh, dishes have been put away. Good job, Sally. But when they walk into Billy Bob's room, it still looks like a bomb had gone off in there. And they say, Billy Bob, why didn't you obey us and put your toys away? To which Billy Bob says, oh, I did. But then when you didn't come back for so long, I kept getting more and more of them out because I'm thinking maybe my pandemic me. And so they're never coming back and I'm just going to do whatever I want. So they round up all three kids and, and they say, Johnny and Sally, stand to our right for you are blessed and thou shalt inherit thou's ice cream. Billy Bob 
You're standing over here on our left. Depart from us, for we never knew you. <laughs> you will have no ice cream for eternity. Or just a couple days. All analogies break down at some point, right? Uh, I think the main point, other than these parents needing some real counseling, uh, the point, the main point of chapter 25 is to be ready. So today we've got some motions. When I say be ready, I want everybody to get your torch up. Okay, here's your torch. Ready? When I say be ready, you say torches ready. Be ready. Be ready. And you're going to see in a minute why we're talking about torches and why they need to be ready. Now, remember last week in Matthew 24, Jesus laid out a timeline of things to come with his disciples. That Israel would be judged for rejecting him and that would culminate in the temple's destruction in A.D. 70. But then he also says, just like giving birth, we're going to see there are going to be an age of pain and suffering and trials before the joy of Jesus' return as the king. And so Jesus is preparing them and us today so that we'll be ready for his return. Remember, that's how he summarized last week's teaching in Matthew 24. He said, stay awake. And he also said, be ready. Be ready. All right. You guys are already doing better than the nine o'clock. And to do that, he lays out four scenarios that we're going to look at today. The first one is about a servant. It's actually at the end of Matthew 24. Look at the wise and faithful servant. Who then, verse 45, is the faithful and wise servant whom his, his, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. He's done well. But, verse 48, if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you say, wait a second, Justin, this was supposed to be family Sunday. (laughs) You shouldn't open with that. Uh, Jesus says, if the servant is faithful and wise when the master comes back and finds him on task feeding the people in his house like he was asked to do like johnny and sally who had done their chores um, then he says he'll he'll be rewarded but if he is a wicked servant and, and like billy bob this is most definitely off task as we read this story here he says it will turn out differently now why was this servant off task. Look at what it says in verse 48. It says, my master is delayed. He's, he's delayed. And, and just like when Billy's parents were delayed, he goes, if he's not coming back, then I'm going to do whatever I want. Now, this is a noticeable theme in Jesus' story, one of delay. Jesus is preparing them because, remember, they think the kingdom is starting right now. Jesus is here. Let's get this thing fired up. And even after the resurrection, right before he ascends, they go, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is it happening now? They had no idea that it was going to be what we know now is at least 2,000 years before his return. And so he tells them these stories to encourage them to stay awake, get caffeinated, and be ready. Be ready. Yeah, come on. So he's calling his disciples then and today to be what he calls in verse 45, wise and faithful 
servants. Now, what does that mean and what does that look like for us? Well, let's look at the next three stories to find out. Number one, again, if you're following along, you got some blanks to fill out in your bulletin. Number one, be wise, be wise. We'll look at the parable of the virgins. Verse one, chapter 25 now, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, so here again, he's a parable. He's putting two things side by side to make a point. It'll be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, the virgins he's referring to here are, are the, the, the bride's party, the bridesmaids are the people he's referring to. Now, the Jewish weddings were very different than our weddings are today. So you have some bride, the bride and her bridesmaids, and they're getting ready at the parents' house. They're doing their hair and putting on makeup, and this is how I put on makeup. And then you got, then you got the boys, right? And here comes the, the groom and his groomsmen. And they come strolling up and, hey, ladies, we're ready to hit the road. And they pick them up and together they head to the wedding banquet. Now, the ceremony itself often didn't start until late at night. So this would be a, a midnight stroll that they would have found themselves on. And that's why they need these lamps. Right, it's the first century. They don't have headlights on cars. They don't have cars. They can't whip out their iPhones and just use the flashlight. So Jesus, he makes this comparison in verse 2. He says, five of them were foolish and five were wise. He says, five of the bridesmaids were foolish and five of them were wise. What was the difference between the fools and the wise ones? Verse 3, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with them their lamps. So he says the wise bridesmaids brought extra oil for their lamps, but the foolish ones did not. Now, most likely they were using um, these, what, what would look like big torches. That's why we have our torches ready here. And at the top of them, they were wrapped in these rags that had been soaked in oil. And so the oil on the rags was being burned. Now they would have to rewrap and, and apply this oil for about about every 15 minutes to keep a torch light. But with extra oil, these could actually last for hours. But this was a BYOO kind of situation, right? You had to supply your own oil um, for your torch. And so look at verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and, and slept. So see our theme of delay coming back out again. Now, there were many events that would happen before the bridegroom showed up with his posse. They would haggle over the bride price. There were a couple other things. So it often took a while. But here in this story, he says it took longer than they would have expected. Verse 6, at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And it was common to have a lookout because it was getting late and they'd fall asleep. Wake up. He's here. Let's get ready. And of course, you saw this coming. Verse 7, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. So they said there wouldn't be enough to go around, and they'd be walking around in the dark. Plus, if you didn't have a lit torch, they would often have thought of you basically as an ancient wedding crasher. That you weren't actually part of this entourage. Or maybe even worse, that you were a thief because there were a lot of valuables at a wedding like this. And so they said you would not be properly identified as a member of the party if you didn't have a lit torch. And so it's a rough ending for the foolish bridesmaids. Verse 10, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in and with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. 
Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now that seems a little harsh. They're just a little bit late to the wedding. Most of you guys show up for church every Sunday. We still let you in. That's cool. I'm, I'm just sort of kidding. Um, this is also a shame culture, right? The, the, the bridesmaids were insulted. Or the bridesmaids had insulted the couple and their family by not caring enough to have their oil present. But this, this harsh response was meant to startle Jesus' audience. Well, wait a second. Wow, that, that's really intense, Jesus. And look at his point in verse 13. Watch, therefore, Jesus says, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus says, you don't know how long it's going to be until I return. So watch out. In the words of Scar, be prepared for the delay. <laughs> no? All right. Lesson number one. Two, two lessons. Lesson number one. There are some things that cannot be left until the last minute. There are some things that cannot be left until the last minute. Some people might say, you know what? I'm young. I got my whole life ahead of me. I'm going to live for myself right now, and then I'll follow Jesus. I'll make things right when I'm older. The problem is, we're not guaranteed a tomorrow. Jesus' point here is, you don't know how long it'll be, and there's going to come a point in time past where we can get ready. Where, where the chores are either done or they're not done, where you can no longer just run down to the oil convenience store, right? To Soro. See what I did there? Um, maybe you didn't. And it won't be an option. It'll be too late, right? Are you ready now? That's the question. Are you ready today? Because it may not be a tomorrow. Second lesson. There are some responsibilities that cannot be transferred to others. They cannot be transferred to others. Just like Johnny and Sally and, and Billy Bob, they're each responsible for their own chores, your parents, your friends, your pastor can't make you, can't make me prepared for Jesus' return. It's an individual relationship, our hearts being prepared before him. And, and so we would sum it up by saying this, the wise servant waits for the Lord using the time to prepare. Using the time to prepare. So be ready. Be ready. And listen, this being ready is not just a passive, just kind of twiddling my thumbs, waiting for him to come back. What we're going to see next is this active waiting involves living right during what will become an unexpectedly long delay. Look at number two. Oh, here's a guy who's ready, if I've ever seen one. Number two, be faithful. See, I knew I'd crush with the uh, under, under eight demographic. Number two, be faithful. Parents, or excuse me, parents, parable of the talents. Got family Sunday on the brain. Be faithful, parable of the talents. Look at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. So a man entrusts three servants, probably better translated slaves, although it doesn't have quite all the same connotations as we would have with it today. But he gives each of them, he says, entrust them his property. And specifically, he's going to give them each these talents. Now, when we hear the word talent here, we often think like a talent show, like America's got talent. That is not the kind of talent that I can juggle or play the nose flute. That's not the kind of talent that he's talking about here. This was actually a piece of currency. It was money. In fact, particularly, a talent represented about 20 years of wages, which is where we get our word talent 
is if you look at someone's career, what they could do, you would refer to that as their talents, right? Their abilities. Now, Johnny and Sally and Billy Bob, remember, they had each been given different amounts or levels of responsibility with their chores. And we see the same thing here as well. And each of them were given different amounts of talents. That there was one man that was given five talents, which would have been a hundred years wages. This is no small amount. Another man who was given two. And finally, a man that was just given one. And what we see is the man with five talents actually doubles it through investing into ten talents. The man with two doubles it to four talents. But the last guy, I call him one talent Timmy. Let's see what Timmy does with his talent. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He put it in the ground. Now this is actually a common way of protecting your money at that time. They didn't have First National that you could just run down to and make a deposit. But we're going to see that was not the master's intent. So let's look at his response to each of the three of them and, and draw some more principles out. Three lessons. The first one, we are rewarded for being faithful with what God gave us. We are rewarded for being faithful with what God gave us. Now notice, the servants weren't all given the same amount, right? That's a significant detail in the story. And why were they given different amounts? Look at verse 15. He gave to each according to his ability. He knew who his servants were, what they were capable of, and he gave them the talents accordingly. And just like Johnny and Sally and Billy Bob's parents, they knew they were different ages and could handle different levels and amounts of responsibilities. Listen, God made you to be you. And some of us have more leadership than other people. Some of us are going to be here longer on this earth than other people. We're going to have different family situations, different abilities, different personalities, different income levels, different spheres of influence. God loves everybody the same, full stop. This here is not about different value. It's different responsibility. And what we see here is their reward for the first two. He says pretty much the exact same words. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. We see three things come out in this. Number one, he is celebrated for his faithfulness. Both the man with the five talents and the two talents are celebrated for their faithfulness. And there will be no sweeter words for us to hear than when the master comes back that we would hear, well done. You were faithful with what I gave you. And then he says, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. The second thing we see here is increased responsibility. He says, if you're faithful with what I've given you here and now on this earth and in the age to come in my kingdom, you're going to be set over much more. And then finally, he says, enter into the joy of your master. And I love this. Those who were faithful with what they were given will share in their master's joy over what he's given and what they've done with it. Now notice, the first two servants are celebrated the same. He doesn't praise the five-talent guy more than the two-talent guy. He praises them both equally. And the question is not, what has he given me? How much? What sphere of him? The question is, am I being faithful with what God has given me? Am I faithful with what he's given me? Now let's look at the next one. Second lesson. We are responsible for multiplying what God gave us. We're responsible for multiplying what God has given us. We want to ask this question of ourselves. Am I a river or a swamp? Let me explain. Because we do have a river here today. That is his name. Um, now, a swamp just sits there and does nothing. Okay, everybody hold their nose. Say, ew. ew. Yeah, exactly. F- swamps stink. 
and they just sit there. There's no fresh water. They develop this harmful bacteria, and they'll kill anybody that enters them. No, no, not, that's not true. So kids, you can maybe sometimes put a toe in a swamp. But a swamp, right, it just kind of sits there and festers, whereas a river, a river is a fresh stream of, that continues to flow and gives life to other bodies of water. You, you see the difference. And Jesus says in John 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now we know that we have Jesus himself alive in and through us if we are a follower of him. And the question is, will we be a swamp keeping Jesus to all this and potentially even harming somebody who tries to get in? Or will we be rivers of life, freely sharing and joyfully sharing him with the people around us? See, the master gave the servants talents to do what? To invest, to multiply, to put them to work. And notice this isn't an option. They're his servants, they're his slaves. They, they are supposed to, they are accountable to do what he's told them to do. And Jesus is our king. And he gave us his own life, not just to hoard for ourselves, but just as he freely gave it to us, we're called to freely give him away. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. So let me ask you, let me ask myself, are we being a swamp or are we being a river investing in others? And the third lesson here, we fail to obey Jesus when we fail to trust Jesus. We fail to obey Jesus when we fail to trust Jesus. And I see this with one talent, Timmy. Why didn't Timmy, what, what, why didn't he invest his talent? Well, look at what he says here, starting in verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now Jesus, is, his audience would have been shocked at this, because here's a servant talking back to his master. You didn't do that at that time. And what is he doing? He's actually blaming his master for this. He says, first, I feel exploited, that basically you reap where you don't sow. That's what he said. You take what's not yours, right? You're, this is my work, thank you very much. And he also feels scared. What I see here is he said, you would punish me if I lost what I had tried to invest. And, and maybe he's even dealing with some jealousy here because he's the one sitting there with only one talent. So because he doesn't trust his master's heart, he spitefully and simply gives back what was given to him, no more and no less. So the question we ask ourselves is, do we trust our Father's heart? Do we trust that he's for us? How do we believe, how do you believe your master sees you? Because sometimes, I'll be honest, I can resonate with one talent Timmy here. That I have a fear sometimes when I, when I think about standing before God someday, that it's going to be like a, a pass-fail test, and he's going to look at my life and just go, nope, you didn't do enough, you didn't do it good enough. And so sometimes I'm thinking, if I just do my best, keep my head low, and try not to mess up anything too bad, hide it in the ground, and hope that when I stand before him, he doesn't press the elevator down button. But brothers and sisters, that is not our God. He has freely, joyfully given us his life. And he wants us to not be swamps, but to be rivers, to go out and do likewise. Listen, we don't have to be afraid to mess up when we try because he doesn't love us or save us based on how awesome we are. But by his own grace 
It's his talents, his life in us, our God-given abilities. He says, wherever I've planted you, I will grow you. Just get out there and try and trust. It's going to be good. We see here that the faithful servant works for the Lord using what he's specifically given you to be a river, not a swamp, to multiply disciples. So what does this look like for our, in our lives? To, to be faithful and to hear well done. That's his final point in, in this teaching. Number three, serve Jesus, sheep and goats. Serve Jesus. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. We talked about this last week. It's the parousia. This is Jesus' return. He says when he's coming, there's this glorious day when Jesus will at last return as the king and set up his kingdom to rule and reign forever. He says at that moment, this is what's going to happen. Verse 32, before him will be gathered of all Uh, all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep, say that five times fast, from the goats. So he says there's going to be, oh, there's some goats and sheep. Uh, He says that there are going to be all the nations bowing down. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Now in the Middle East, you see these, these wonderful sheep and goats, they're just loving on each other. During the day, they got along very well. But at night, you had to separate them. The sheep had these nice big wool coats, and so they could stay warm. But the goats who were scrawny, they had to be kept together in order to stay warm. So you'd separate at night. Again, that idea, that symbolism of, of judgment, that midnight hour, you would, they would be separated. And in verse 33, it says, He will place the sheep on his right, so I guess your right, and the, and the goats on, on the left. And, and why, why the left and right? Well, in the ancient culture uh, at the time, they would honor the right above the left. And, and as, a, as a left-hander, I don't appreciate that. Uh, my people have been discriminated against for centuries, and quite frankly, we've had enough, right? Do I have any southpaws in the house? Thank you. No, I guess I'm the only one. Um, now, why does Jesus say, uh, what, what is Jesus saying is the difference between the sheep and the goats, between standing on his right or standing on his left? Well, look at what he says to the sheep, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom. Remember, that's what Jesus is here to do, to present the kingdom of God that's available through him, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. These are the people, he says, are welcomed into my kingdom. And notice why he says these are the ones welcomed. In verse 35, he says, for, there's our clue, cause and effect. You are welcomed in. Why? For, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did, you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? They say, well, wait a second. The king says, you did all these things for me. And they're going, we don't even remember seeing you, let alone doing all those things for you. Now, if Jesus was here today, think about this for a moment. If Jesus walked through those doors and sat in our midst How would we treat him? How would we honor him? I'll tell you the first thing, I'd let him come up and preach instead of me. We would listen to him. We would serve. We would do Jesus told me to do something to do face to face. I'm not like, no, right? I'm obeying Jesus. I'm serving Jesus. I'm loving being in his presence. I'm honoring him. Like if he's if he's hurt, if he has something, if he has a need, I'm there to help. And and listen, he says, his response is amazing in verse 40. 
He says, the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, who is Jesus exactly referring to here? He says, my brothers, and the Greek has the room for my brothers and sisters. I believe what he's referring to here, at least in part, is a general call to, to love and, and, and to, to serve. But I think, at least in part, Jesus is talking specifically about his disciples. He says here, his brothers and sisters. These are his siblings. And what, what is their task? To carry the message of Jesus to the world. And what do we just say will happen to them in Matthew 24? They will be persecuted for it. They're going to find themselves in prison. They're going to find themselves hungry and thirsty. They're going to find themselves sick and injured. And he says, those who will help them and aid them and receive their message are the ones that receive me. To receive them and the word that they're proclaiming of the gospel of me is to receive me and to believe and place your faith in the king. And sometimes I think, man, if only I had been there with Jesus. If only we had Jesus, physical Jesus here in our presence, how I would serve him. But here's what he just told us. We do have him right here in our presence every single day. You see, when you sit with that elderly parent or loved one who's suffering from dementia and a prisoner of their own mind, and you're visiting Jesus, when you're looking at the man on the corner at Fred Meyer and you see him with compassion, you're looking into the eyes of Jesus. No one is a waste of time. No one. To love the least of these is to love Jesus himself as if he were right here. The most valuable thing that Jesus has entrusted us with is not money, not talents, not even our time. It's people. The people he's put into our lives. And so let me ask us this week, who, who is that one that we need to treat with the same compassion and care as if Jesus himself were standing right in front of us? There's no one in our lives who is beneath us. No one in our lives whom Jesus did not die for and does not love. Now, I want to underline this. He is not communicating here that we're saved by helping other people. That if I visit the prisons enough, that if I take care of enough sick people, then I will be admitted into heaven. That is not his point. Ultimately, it's faith in Christ receiving his message through the ones who have brought it that saves us. But he is saying here that just like a caterpillar who transforms into a butterfly, the butterfly doesn't go back to their caterpillaring ways. He says the same way, if, you, if, if, if Jesus is in us, then out of us will flow these living waters and we will begin to treat other people the way that Jesus would treat them. In fact, the way he has treated us. The servant loves Jesus and he loves the least of these. And if you read the end of the chapter, he says, those who don't, those who do not receive my message, those who do not welcome my messengers with love, it does not end well. So, even if it takes longer than we think, mom and dad will pull into the driveway. They will ask each of us if we've done our chores. There is a day of reckoning coming. It is not optional. We are his servants, and we will be held accountable. 
Now again, to underline, Ephesians 2 could not be more explicit. We are saved by grace, not by works. Nothing we could do on our own. It's totally what Jesus has done for us, believing that. And yet, he says, I've saved you. I've created you into something new. And the very next verse says that we are these newly created beings, his masterpieces, created for good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. You're not saved by this, but this is an evidence, the natural playing out of the one who loves Jesus and knows him as Lord and Savior. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is calling us to be faithful servants, and he warns us here that there's a delay. It's going to be a delay before I return. So the question is, why the delay? Why not just fire up the kingdom and get it going right now? Why wait for at least thousands of years where there is suffering and pain and heartache? We don't have all the answers, but 2 Peter certainly points us to an answer. Because they ask the same question. Is he being slow? Maybe there's not even a God. Where is he if he is real and he does love us? He responds, the Lord's not being slow like some people think. First of all, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. So for him, it's been a weekend. But then it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So it's all worth it because he has more siblings that he wants to gather, more who are thirsty that he wants his river of life to flow toward. And so each of us have talents, have responsibilities, have spheres of influence to be a part of this process. So what does it look like for us today to be a faithful and wise servant? Well, just like our guys here with the talents, it depends on what he's given you. It depends on the season of life that you're in. So for some of you today, you're a stay-at-home mom, even currently trying to just corral your kids until this thing is over, and, and especially we're living through this pandemic, and some of you are, are just learning how to homeschool your own children for the first time. I'll tell you what, there's your, there's your mission field right there. There's your front lines to love the least of these. Maybe you're a single right now. A single, maybe you're living in retirement. Maybe you're in or coming out of rehab. Maybe you're in elementary school, at home or at school. Wherever you are, whoever's around you, we rest in Jesus' love and life in us knowing he has us exactly where he has us, loves us right where we are, and then we share that life and that love with the people around us. And remember that he's not going to ask you to do anything that by his grace he will not provide the means to do. So kids, everybody, hands up here. Hands up. Give me an air high five. You made it. Congratulations. And remember, let's be ready. Be ready. Because he's coming back, and we don't know which day. But we wait, and we watch, and we serve in love. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that, that ultimately, even though we are not wise and faithful servants, that in our own flesh we are foolish and we are faithless. Lord, we know there was one that, you, that came to this earth, the only truly wise and faithful servant who lived the life that we could never live, died in our place and rose so that we might have life. Lord, we thank you for Jesus this morning, that he's done for us what we could never do. He was for us what we could never be. And now, as we receive Jesus, and Lord, there are some in this room today that have not received Jesus, and we just learned that we don't know when you're coming back, that we want to have torches ready. We don't know the day or hour, that we cannot put off the tomorrow what can be done today. Father, I pray that they would repent and place their faith in Jesus and, and those of us that are following you, that we would be faithful 
to love others the way you've loved us, to use our talents and resources to bless other people, to love and encourage other people, to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. We have a small amount of time left. We don't know when, but we do know that he's coming back. We look forward to that day. We can't wait until Jesus is back. Then he sets up his kingdom right here on earth. Then all things will be made right. But until that day, Father, may we be faithful with what you've given us, knowing we can only do what you've asked us to do by your grace for your glory. And it's in the name of our coming King that we watch, that we work, that we serve in love, and that we pray. Amen.